You're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Welcome to Planet Pod. I'm Amanda Carpenter and the times, they are a-changing, as Bob Dylan would say. And luckily for you, I'm not going to sing that. Today, we're talking about change, changing habits, changing behaviours. How do we get individuals and organisations to work together to create meaningful change around sustainability in the environment? How do we get people motivated? What do we need to do to make people take the actions that we all need as a, as a planet together? And my guests in the pod studio today are hugely experienced in this area. They're all change makers and influencers in their own right and in the worlds they work in. And I'm delighted to, um, to welcome them. So hello, everyone. I'm joined by Leilani Vaya, who is a senior manager at Link Liquors, the global law firm. And she heads up the environmental sustainability program there. And she's worked internationally and in the UK. And I have to say, we need to congratulate Leilani because she's just graduated with a distinction from her MBA from the Executive One Planet. So well done, Leilani, and welcome. Thank you, Amanda. I'm also joined by Julie Flower, who's a management and organisational development consultant and runs her own business, The Specialist Generalist. And Julie really works with individuals, wherever they happen to be, in different organisations, public and private sector, to look at their own behaviours and change and help them cope with difficult, complex systems and fast-moving environments. So welcome, Julie. Hello. And my third and final guest is a huge influencer, particularly here in London, where he's been named one of the thousand most influential Londoners, as well as an eco-hero um, by The Telegraph. So he's the founder and MD of Green Rewards, Graham Simmons. And Green Rewards look at how employees can change behaviour through positive motivations. And we're delighted to have you here and we look forward to hearing more about it. So welcome, Graham. Hi. Hi, Amanda. So a truly stellar lineup, as you can see, and some really fascinating conversation ahead of us. But as regular pod listeners know, we always start with our good, the bad and the ugly slot. So, Julie, have you got a good, bad or ugly to get us going? I have, Amanda. I'm afraid this one's a bit ugly, really. So it's a, an article from the BBC and I was really captured by the image and I think images are so important when thinking about behavioural change and it's an image of a stag stud majestically in this Scottish landscape but on his head he has lots of entangled fishing nets and uh, an orange boy so you're kind of struck by the majesty of this animal but then the incongruous nature of, of what's on his head and it's an article about the Isle of Rum in, and some of the problems they're facing with marine pollution. And then the article goes on, it's on the BBC website, to show two deer who are dead on the beach, tangled up in ropes. And so it's really about highlighting the impact that marine pollution is having on animals on land as well as sea creatures, because I think there's obviously been a lot of... Um, 
publicity around the impact on marine life but actually this is impacting now on land mammals and these photographs were actually taken a year ago but have only just been made public because I think much more is now in the public psyche and the environmental organisations in Scotland were essentially making the case look this affects everyone so it's not just the behaviour of fishermen but actually it's the behaviour of everyone everything that we put um, that we use in terms of plastic and other discarded waste and the impact it can have further down the line. Oh, horrid. I mean, a wonderful image in terms of bringing that to people's attention, but a really horrible idea that, as you say, land creatures are being affected. We all know about marine pollution. We've talked about this a lot on the pod already and plastics and the plastic berg and things. But, you know, that brings it right home onto our own shores. So thank you for starting us off on that rather sad note. Graham, have you got one that's possibly slightly cheerier? Yeah, well, maybe slightly cheerier. Um, yeah, I was struck by the recent story on the BBC, which I heard about on the Radio 4 Today programme. But the chap from the Environment Agency was saying that they're thinking about introducing personal targets in terms of water consumption. And I think what struck me was, you know, how are we going to make this kind of exciting and relevant to people? When he was talking about the, the impact on water over water usage really hitting us in about 2050 and you kind of think wow that's 30 odd years out um and then people hear all this stuff about leaks and the water companies losing all this water everywhere and we live in a company that seems a country that seems to rain a lot of the time you know how do you make all this relevant to people so that they change their behavior and he was quizzed around the whole idea with that if it's metered and you've got a target, then surely you're going to get penalised and you're going to pay more for your water bills. And I thought that's very interesting because it's very long term. How do you make it relevant? Do you penalise people or do you actually twist it around and say, you know, meet your target, exceed your target and you get a bit of a carrot? So there are kind of lots of things coming out of it that I think are, are quite interesting, really. Really fascinating. And water is the big new global problem isn't it i mean they say that the, the world's wars are going to be fought over water not over oil i thought that was very i heard that report too and i thought it was really interesting because the sheer amount we all use individually i mean 150 liters or something i found it quite difficult to visualize but i also thought that surely i don't use that much i mean i i know i like the old bath but you know that is an awful lot per head every day so maybe it's about making it obvious to people about how much you know how much you're actually consuming so that's fascinating and really brings home that whole thing about positive and negative motivators doesn't it i know we're going to be talking about that leilani have you a good bad or ugly i do i have got a good and it also made me laugh. So basically every year as an organisation and many other organisations do around the world, we celebrate World Environment Day and that's coming up on the 5th of June. And I got onto the website uh, last week and they have posted a new video on the World Environment Day website and it is about a girl's journey breaking up with plastic. <laughs> Single-use plastic. And it just really hit a nerve with me. And I was sitting at my desk and my colleagues were wa wa watching me in hysterics watching this. So if you do want to smile today, hop on that website and watch the little clip. It's probably only about three minutes. The end of our love affair with plastic. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll put that on the pod website. So we'll embed that. So you can see that if you go to theplanetpod.com. 
I've got a good, actually, which is unusual for me. I usually like the bad, ugly ones. And I wanted to shout out to um, the National Grid, who've developed a new online tool where you can plan, basically, how you use power electricity. And you can choose to use more when there's going to be a bigger, better, greener supply. So use their online widget and you plan to you know, charge your electric car or put your washing machine on at a point where you've actually got more of the energy coming from green resources. So it's not only cheaper, it's also better for the planet. So so I thought that was a fantastic um, tool. I don't think it's widely available yet, but, but they're rolling it out. So huge congratulations to them. Ilani, it's interesting you talk about the corporate environment and making your colleagues laugh because you're in a very strongly commercial organisation, aren't you? Law firms are not known necessarily for their philanthropy. And what are some of the issues you've encountered and the channel challenges you've found working in that very corporate, very perhaps financially driven environment around things like sustainability in the environment? Yeah, so I've experienced working in this international organisation now for 10 years. And I would say that if I reflect there's actually a huge amount of ability to be creative and innovative and to really take initiatives forward and the entrepreneurial spirit because of the partnership model is actually very positive. So I think in terms of the real positive you can have a go and most of the time you have the floor to try new things. I think the challenge is the behavioural trying to get people to really uptake that rather than just say it's a good idea. So when you talk about the partnership model, just for those pod listeners who may not be familiar with how law firms work, what does that actually mean? I mean, does that mean that the people at the top own the business? Yeah, that's ex that's right. As opposed to a listed company where you'll have shareholders, the partnership model, you could almost consider a partner a shareholder. Okay. So they're quite powerful politically, small p, but also financially in the organisation. So I should imagine if you've got one of those on your side, that helps you drive through change? Absolutely. It Having a sponsor at a very senior le level, whether a you're in a partnership model or not always uh, helps. And often different uh, environmental initiatives or change initiatives will strike a chord with a different senior person. And knowing the right senior person to go to to get the support is part of, I think, the skill in change management. Yeah. And how does that roll down through an organisation or even globally? Because I can see you'd have a single advocate and that would be fantastic and they'd be a champion but they might leave or their priorities might change and the others around the table are less motivated and engaged so how do you push that out and embed it so in my early career at Linklater's so this is 10 years ago one of the first change management pieces we did was take everyone's desk bins away <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a small thing, but actually you're essentially asking people to change their behaviour 
and people are frightened of change. They've got their habits and there's a lot of issues in change about what are you taking away from me? <laughs> what am I losing? So that was a good introduction to the culture and how um, my colleagues react to such change. And it's quite interesting. We're, the senior support I had at that time um, has since moved on to uh, in his career, but he was a real champion for that change and he was quite firm about it because he appreciated the financial, environmental, social aspects of of taking people's bins away. And, you know, to give you the results, we were on a 56% recycling percentage and we're now on 86. Just because so the bins went? A lot to do with the bins. Really? And what were they doing? Just shoving everything in that one bin? I think well, we didn't have uh, recycling stations so much. You know, it was we had recycling stations maybe in our restaurant area, but just at a desk, I mean, a paper confidential bin and then just a standard bin. So it made a huge change um, for like what was coming off our floors. And it was a huge success. But on the challenging side of that, I was at our lunch bar one weekend, a, a number of years later, and one of my colleagues came up to me and said, six years later, I can't believe you've taken my bin away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> poor thing. Do you find that um, uh, colleagues can kind of put pressure on partners? I, mean, well, I know one of our clients um, is a big multinational bank and there was a lot of pressure from the staff, from the employees, right up to the senior leadership team, particularly around single-use plastics and why the company wasn't doing more and, you know, as the chief exec got to hear about that and he got more emails from colleagues, then kind of that really was a big, uh, big influencer driving them to do a lot more. Yeah, I, there is definitely a ground up movement. And that I, I guess it's a form of viral change, isn't it? It sort of spreads. And there will be a lot of people that email my team who are responsible for a lot of the environmental initiatives. And it's quite funny, they want something to change, but they can't do it themselves. No. And so, you know, do we form a coral, uh, coalition and rah, you know? <laughs> but I mean, that's not traditionally our culture. So normally they do look for the expert team to roll out their ideas but that takes consultation with others. Yeah. Do you find that people will look at an issue and say, okay, this is an environmental issue, we need to do something, I'm just going to give it to you, I'm going to give it to Leilani and get her to get on with it, and then when she's done it, she'll tell me. Have you got, or are you getting, as you just said, you've got this bottom-up movement, but are you getting real traction across the organisation where people say, I'm going to do that and just let her know I've done it? Does that ever happen? There has definitely been small um, uh, situations like that, and I guess that's more in the local areas. Mm -hmm. Like if you've got an environmental champion and one of the teams that's far way away from me in the building, they might put up their own signage and have their own little campaign with people that they feel comfortable doing that with. And that's quite empowering. I love seeing that. Mm. Um, what 
I, my team tends to get involved with now is, you know, the strategy and direction setting and, and letting the people who can roll these initiatives out make them happen. But it needs my support and that definitely mm. helps. Yeah. So that feels like quite a mature organisation in terms of behaviour change and activities that you're taking on on the environment and on other sustainability issues. Yeah, I would say we're very mature now and we've probably got a very well-oiled machine, if I can use the word oil <laughs> on Planet Pod. Yeah. Right kind of oil. Yeah, exactly. Plant oil. But yeah, plant oil. <laughs> well, it's interesting you used that bin example because they that clearly felt punitive for the partners or the senior managers involved, taking something away. But a lot of what we need to do to get cultural changes to get people feel rewarded I guess and the the whole kind of plastic cup reusable cup issue that we do spend a lot of time talking about in the pod um, where people have been rewarded for bringing in a, a keep cup and have had money off I was reading some things the other day that actually said that wasn't having as dramatic a effect um, on people's behaviours we'd have thought and perhaps the positive motivation wasn't as effective as a, a more penalising motivation like 5p in a plastic bag or, or the latte levy, levy. So Graham, you really focus on positive motivation, don't you? Why did you choose to do that? Because obviously I think that probably feels like it's slightly harder work. Well, I think it's, you know, I think the... Most people are motivated by positive messages. And I, th I think people kind of know what they need to do. You know, I think people understand that they should be putting their paper in the recycling spot for paper and uh, not using maybe more excessive energy. So I think people know instinctively what they, want to, what they should be doing. Um, and I think a lot of it is about kind of nudging them into, into that behavior. And uh, certainly our experience is that positive nudging, I think, works really well. Uh, I think when you're, when you're talking about behavior change, there's a big difference between the workplace and the home. Mm -hmm. um, and we do work with a lot of employers around workplace change. And we also work with local authority clients trying to encourage households to follow positive waste behaviors, whether it's recycling or reuse. And I think there is quite a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's very interesting what Leilani said about, you know, when you change the function. So if you take away a bin, um, is that a penalty? I, I wouldn't call that a penalty. You know, you're, you're, you're taking something away, but I'm sure you're still providing very good provision for recycling food and other aspects of your, of your waste. So... I wouldn't really regard that as a penalty. Mm -hmm. um, in the workplace, I, I think penalties could be very demotivating. You know, I think they could have a very negative impact. And I think you're then into very difficult questions about measurement. Uh, you know, someone's told they've been penalised because they left the lights on in the office. They'll say, well, how did you measure that? It wasn't me, it was the cleaner, the over the last one in. So... I think it can kind of lead to all sorts of people management issues, um, which are, you know, kind of get the whole uh, agenda on the wrong footing. So in the workplace, I think nudges are really important. 
and some structure. I mean, it's interesting what Leilani said that there's, you know, it's, it's almost um, how do you harness that energy and enthusiasm where you have people coming to you? And we get that a lot with, with a lot of our clients that are maybe the facilities managers and they're contacted by people saying, you know, why haven't we got more recycling bins in our office? Why, why does the company do this? Um, and it's how you harness that. And that's, in a sense, what we help companies do, providing them with a, with a reward platform, an engagement platform, really, um, through which you can harness new ideas and energy. You can turn your network of champions into something bigger than the parts. Um, rest for households, I think it's a, it, it is a different issue because people kind of have an expectation that they pay their rates and it's up to the local authority to take stuff away. We know some examples of clients of ours where they have removed the recycling bins from certain households because of the contamination issue, which is just costing them so much money. So persistent households that are putting, you know, use nappies in their recycling, things like that, costs cost millions of pounds for a lot of local authorities. So you can kind of see that there is sort of an argument that says, well, actually, some people need to be um, really made aware of what they're doing. And whilst you're taking them through that awareness, perhaps you have to limit their ability to recycle. And that's not something we would really uh, propose actively, but I have seen it. So tell us a bit about how the positive motivators work, because you've got this platform and obviously people... They do it through their organisation. They don't do it as individuals, do they? So, so what are the rewards that you're, you're typically giving people as motivators? Well, the main motivator for our, we call it our jump programme for employers. The main motivating factor is really competition. So we work with the employer to, to, to kind of work out teams that make sense to their people. And then we have leaderboards to see which team's doing best. Um, we also have an individual's leaderboard, which shows the kind of top performers as measured through the platform. Um, so there's an observability element to it because the actual prizes are, you know, there might be a £20 M&S voucher or you, you get to make a donation to a local community project, but they're not kind of massive in value. So again, they're more nudges. And I would say the key factor is, is that competition. It's, that's what we shamelessly do, really. We exploit friendly competition to encourage people and teams to work together to achieve common objectives. That's really what it's about. We use leaderboards and we use technology to boost all of that. And is that enough to get people engaged? They're, they're competitive enough naturally within the workplace to say, I want my team to get to the top of the recycling leaderboard. Well, we find it's we're getting really good results. Yeah, you know, our, our, our corporate clients, you know, I think RBS uh, at a recent conference was talking about 5% energy, which for them translates into a lot of money uh, through implementing our program. So, you know, we are getting tangible results. And we're often asked, you know, how sustainable is it? In other words, something like this, you launch it, it's a lot of interest. There's some big statue in reception made out of recycled plastic. Everyone gets really excited and then it all fizzles out. And, you know, that's 
intentionally how we're designing our programs not to do that. It's not about a one-off stunt. It's about ongoing engagement, introducing new activities the whole time, new themes, you know, World Environment Day is coming up. So maybe if people can earn double points for doing, I don't know, walking to work that week or whatever it is. So kind of building campaigns into a structured program that's supported by a platform and a communications plan. So it needs kind of careful planning. Yeah. And are they only based in um, large organisations? Or you've talked about local authorities. Is it something that the general public can engage with if a local authority has signed up? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we've got about 20 local authorities covering hundreds of thousands of householders participating. And it's not just large corporations as well. We've got some small some small clients with just sort of 50 people. So it's, it's, it's quite it's a very flexible programme. Could I ask a question, Graham, which is, as you say, around that sense of how can you sustain the momentum and the energy, particularly if organisations maybe don't have huge amounts of either human or financial resources, what is it that you feel they can really do to, to keep this kind of programme going and, and embed the behaviours in the culture? Well, I think with any behaviour change programme, it, it's, it's not static. You know, it needs to be uh, constantly developing, constantly evolving. Um, so that means introducing new, we call them modules, new behaviour modules. Obviously, plastics has become a huge topic since uh, David Attenborough and the Blue Planet programme. So you know, we've introduced a lot of plastics modules within to our programme. And um, it's... I think a case of looking at technology as it comes. So we're, you know, we're currently doing some development work. So our program will, will integrate with Fitbit so that we, people can take their data from steps directly into our platform. Um, so it's, you know, it's a constantly moving thing and you can't stand still. It's no good saying, right, we've launched this program. That's it. Because people will get bored. You know, that user journey, that user experience needs to be constantly evolving. And you need feedback, lots of feedback from your people. So our programs have a function where people can submit ideas or comments on the program. We normally do an annual survey just to get people to say what they like and don't like about it. Julie, you've done a lot of work across organisations about um, looking at different systems and dealing with change and, and complex processes and things. What's been your experience about how people change and how long it takes them to develop new habits or new behaviours? I think it's really fascinating because really to embed change at the level that we're talking about, which is essentially almost the fundamental assumptions and beliefs um, underlying the culture, it takes a huge amount of time and I mean there's lots of evidence around establishing personal habits and how long that takes whether it's you know that I want to keep going to the gym or eating healthily or doing whatever and that it takes constant repetition to do that but within an organization the evidence suggests that it needs to have a number of things aligned and I've been really interested in both of your stories around actually aligning the sort of leadership kind of role modeling with appealing to people's values and personal beliefs giving people the kind of skills and understanding to be able to do it but also then of course some of the system and process stuff 
and potentially some of the incentives and rewards. And the evidence suggests that actually, unless those kind of four things are really aligned, then change programs usually slip up. And thinking back to um, Leilani's example around bins, I, I had to chuckle to myself because when I worked for an NHS commissioning organisation 10 years ago, I remember we came in one morning and all of the desk bins had disappeared. And it was a classic example really of a good intention but a very poor change programme because everybody assumed, particularly given we were always in quite dire financial straits, that they'd been taken away to save money on cleaning. Whereas obviously that that wasn't really the intention. It may have been a, a byproduct, but actually the intention was environmental. But it was a really good example of how actually just some clear communication from the top, some work around helping people to understand what this was all about would have helped. You know, we were all quite value-driven people. It wouldn't have taken a massive amount to help people understand that. But actually the intent behind it just wasn't understood And it's also a good example, I think, of understanding the context that you're working in, because if there's other stuff going on within an organisation around, say, financial problems or performance pressures, actually it's quite hard for some of these messages around sustainability to get heard and also for the genuine intention of them to be understood for what they are rather than um, a way in which to save money or, or whatever. So... I think it has to be all of, of those things in concert. And I think we have to maintain leaders' attention on what we're trying to achieve. And sometimes at the beginning of programmes, they'll be, as you say, happy to put the statue in reception, make a nice speech about everything, but then they'll go off the boil and they'll be on to the next thing. And unless they're genuinely leading from the top and demonstrating, even in small behaviours, about what they're doing, you know, are they informally putting their head around the corner of different departments and saying, oh yeah, how's it going? Because I know you're doing this new um, innovation with respect to how you use paper or whatever. Actually just showing that genuine interest Interest, then it becomes part of the values and behaviours. That's really about leading by example and being seen to do that. You're listening to Planet Pod, uh, brought to you by Akil Management and the Planet Mark. Do get in touch with us. Tell us about your bin experience, if you've had one. Um, you can tweet us at planet underscore pod, and you can email us um, at hello at theplanetpod.com. And visit the website, uh, subscribe to the pod and download previous editions. So today we're talking change and I'm really fascinated by the idea that there's a kind of slight mismatch between individual behaviours and organisational behaviours. And we all know that when people go to work, they often take on a different personality. They, They behave differently in the workplace from the way they would behave at home. But is there something here that we haven't explored around the organisational memory and learning and what we need to do to reinforce, almost possibly over-communicate messages that to individuals we would only need to say once, but in an organisational context, we're about changing a whole culture and changing a long organisational memory. You know, I'm still staggered by the six years on, I resent you taking my bin story. That's that's going to live in the memory. So obviously there's something there in about organisations needing to work twice as hard as collective groups to to change habits and behaviours. Would you agree with that? I would, and I think there's something about emotional resonance, actually, whether it's because people are still upset about the impact that bins had, or um, 
that sense of the kind of stories we tell ourselves. So often culture is about the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that are passed down through generations even within organisations. I was working with a team a few days ago around making strong presentations and building their stories and actually the power of either images and we've talked about powerful images whether it be the stag whether it be marine wildlife and the power of stories to actually elicit emotion and I think that many organizations could do very well by developing powerful stories about how they are helping the environment or what sustainability means to them many of you will have heard the example of a large, I think it was a manufacturing organisation that had lots of different procurement arms and a procurement manager realised that they were buying lots of different types of glove, sort of um, plastic throwaway glove from lots of different manufacturers. Um, it meant that they were spending lots of money they didn't need to, they weren't consistent and he tried to take this message to the board in order to get some kind of um, procurement which actually was much more streamlined. Nobody listened. So in the end he just got one of each of those gloves and physically put them on the table in the boardroom. And there was something about that power of actually seeing those things. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine a few weeks ago, for, I'm also an improviser and she was collecting recycling for an a challenge we were doing on um, uh, the sort of uh, world World Green Day or whatever and she actually collected her recycling for two weeks and even that powerful image of seeing the physical amount produced by one individual and back to what you were saying, if we produce 150 litres, I don't really know what 150 litres of water looks like. Mm -hmm. If somebody puts it in a large receptacle and puts it, you know, in the middle of the table, then you yeah. know, it's going to be much more powerful. That must be really important for your development, Graham, the, the work that you do about images, stories, um, examples, both as motivators and perhaps, you know, uh, to, to reward people by saying, look, you've done fantastically well, let's share your story. Oh, absolutely. I think, and I think the, more we, the more visual that we can, we can make it and the more we can use stories, and not just kind of company stories, but personal stories as well. So you know, we encourage people who win prizes to submit selfies of themselves. We obviously share with them. They're happy for us to share that on the on the platform and on social media. But the more personal we can make it, and the more visual, I think is really important. And and ease, you know, everything's got to be easy. I'm sure for you, Leilani, your colleagues are all extremely busy. Um, so how can we make their environmental actions and performance as as easy as possible for them? Because um, if people feel it's too difficult, then they're, they're not going to do it. You'll get one or two of the kind of committed uh, usual suspects that will, will, will be doing it. So you've got to keep things simple, easy and visual. Uh, and I thought, Julie, you're, you're at the beginning talking about that deer with the, the stuff out of the ocean on its head. I mean, you know, it's images like that that bring it to life. And you, we, saw, we all saw that with the Blue Planet and those images of the the baby whale, you know, that, that suddenly hit a chord and look at the wave of, of kind of energy that's now got around plastics behind that. So one story really can have a huge impact. 
Yeah. Is that something you do, Leilani? I mean, is yours a culture where perhaps sharing personal stories or experiences like that is welcome? Because I would think it might be quite formal being in a law firm. A lot of the feedback I get is if we're going to do something that's different, number one, convenience. You can change anything, just make it convenient. And there's also another underlying theme of what's in it for me. And I guess that's where your rewards program can come in quite strongly. So when you combine those two things, you do get exciting change. Mm -hmm. And you see people, I mean, one of our catering team now has a reward scheme for the reusable plastic containers. So we're reducing our disposables. And that scheme saw us reduce disposables by 50% um, when we first Is launched that it. Financial reward? You get money off? Or? Yeah, so if you take your own reusable box, you don't have to pay 20p extra. Oh, okay. <laughs> for, okay. Um, so it, that's a double one, isn't it? So you're penalising people. Coming back to my point about do we need to, to carrot or stick? Do we need to penalise people for poor behaviour? So if you haven't got a reusable box, you have to pay extra. Um, do you get a discount on top if you do have a reuse box? No, you'll okay. You can and you can have a plate and eat in, and actually that's what we would encourage purely from a health and well-being perspective. Yeah, better for you. Isn't it? It's funny, isn't it? Because there's a really strong correlation between good, sustainable, environmentally, um, uh, you know, effective behaviour and health and well-being. The more sustainable behaviours you engage in, I think the better and, oh. and stronger your health and well-being? Is that something you've found? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, there's a very strong correlation between well-being and sustainability. You know, if you're encouraging people to use the stairs instead of the lift or walk to work, you know, these are all things that are good for the health and they're good for the environment. And that, yeah. So maybe we need to stop branding it a little bit like that yeah. because this word sustainability that we bandy around, I mean, lots of us don't necessarily know what it means it could mean different things to different people but if we're just talking about you know good human health and good planet health then perhaps that's a take we should be be you know using and, and encouraging people to change that way it's almost linking environmental sustainability with kind of personal sustainability isn't it you know actually there's so much pressure on individuals nowadays and such a focus on stress and also well-being actually there's a lot of evidence to link doing something good, whether it's giving to charity or, that, let's face it, slightly self-righteous feeling when you say, oh yes, I've brought my reusable coffee cup and look everybody, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> but actually it just release those feel-good hormones, I did something good. So there's a very clear um, correlation there and a, a causal link really. Yeah. Do you think it's the case for young people? Because I know a lot of what you do, Graham, is um, deliver your programme in educational institutes, I mean, particularly universities, say, is there a difference between how younger people are behaving as to how those of us who are slightly older? Well, I think obviously young people are uh, digitally savvier than I am. Um, and I think that's, that's a great opportunity because um, I think a lot of these behaviour change activities, we can exploit technology, we can use it to get people engaged. Um, so... I think that makes it easier for young people because the technology is just natural. Um, and I'd, yeah, I'd, I think they, they know what they should be doing. I think it's very difficult to generalise. Um, okay. 
Yeah, because there has been quite a lot of conversation recently about the fact that we hold out this great white hope for the millennials and they're going to make it all better for the rest of us. Those of us who've mucked up the planet, they're going to sort it out. But other data comes through to say that actually they're not as engaged with this debate as perhaps they should be and their behaviours and practices about not turning off lights and saving energy are, are not what we had hoped. Yeah, I think slightly distorted around housing because yeah. a lot of young people are quite transient. They, yeah. you know, yeah. they're, they're not on the homeownership ladder yet, so, so they they're having to the, move a lot. Yeah. Haven't got the buy-in and the engagement. So, because I know we talk about millennials, and and you work a lot with students, don't you? And you've already said you're with kind of in you know higher education institutions. Do you think students at university? behave differently i mean partly they're only there some of the time aren't they but how much are they engaged with what you're doing yeah they get they get very engaged and i'd say some of them get extremely engaged and obviously there's some who who don't seem to get engaged um, so i'd say that those that are engaged are very passionate and very committed and will be doing a lot to persuade their fellow students and friends to do stuff um, so i think the that generation it's great in terms of identifying champions, but they kind of identify themselves. Um, and then working with those individuals to encourage others around specific behaviours. So that works really well. And they put pressure on the institution, on the university itself, Absol to change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, universities are interesting. Um, I often uh, suspect that they're perhaps even more advanced than the corporate sector. I was interesting what Leilani was saying that you're kind of mature in terms of where you are on the, on the environment and sustainability. I'd say a lot of universities are really doing a lot. Um, I guess they feel they have a leadership position in this area, particularly if it links back to some element of, of uh, you know, courses and, and academic. I think they're hugely supportive, actually, of doing things that are great for the planet as long as they don't have to do them. <laughs> And talking of doing good, um, what I like to do as a result of a, a poll is ask everyone for a quick call to action. What would you have listeners do as a result of tuning in today? What simple actions could they take to, to, to you know, do things differently and Im improve the planet for all of us? So have you a call out for action, Julie? Mine would actually just be, don't say one thing and do another. Actually just challenge every kind of decision you make and say, does this fit with my value if genuinely I'm saying I want to be sustainable? Walk the walk, not just talk, talk. Helani. Mine would have to be consider breaking up with plastic, single-use plastic. <laughs> Watch that video. We will post it on the website. How about you, Graham? Yeah, I think same as Leilani, um, you know, get, get a key cup. There's no excuse not to have one, really. Hopefully it will last the course. Jim told us about his, which had broken. So I can feel a, a strongly worded email is winging its way to the Keep Cup manufacturer. Um, I think I would say, even if you can't use the widget, be aware of your own energy use. And, you know, I'm notorious in my family for ranting around the house saying, turn the lights off, turn the heating down. Don't turn it on at all. Just put on a sweater you know man up so be aware of your own energy footprint which we can do we don't need lots of, of of technology to help us do that we just know when it's the right thing to do thank you all so much um you've been listening to planet pod and we're hugely grateful as always to jim our producer with or without his keep cup um without him we wouldn't be here 
we're very grateful to Breakthrough Funding, who support us and provide us with a space to record. And I'm grateful to my um, extremely interesting and well-informed and um, humorous at times guests. So thank you to Leilani and to Graham and to Julie. Um, we really want to hear from you. So do share your stories, do get in touch with us. You can tweet and you can visit the website. And um, don't forget to keep listening. Planet Pod is brought to you by Ackle Management and the Planet Mark. And I've been Amanda Carpenter and thank you. <laughs>